Good morning, River Church. It's so good to see you here today. Is it good to see me? Kind of. I'm just kidding. So last week, we began a new series called uh, The Heart of the Gospel. And so um, we, we just talked about, we kind of started off talking about how, um, really even before we talk about that, about the, the heart of the gospel, how motivation uh, for what you do matters almost as much as what you do, Right. Like we kind of joked about how if I go home and I say, I'm going to clean the dishes so that so Katie will just shut up and leave me alone, like that's not really good motivation for doing the dishes, is it? Thank you, brother. <laughs> uh, or, or, but if I go home and say, man, you know, my wife, she's, she works hard. She's about to have a child. You know, she's tired. I'm going to go do the dishes because I love her and want to help her out. That's good motivation for doing the dishes, right? Yes. Th- thank you. Thank you. Um, but I don't understand the difference, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm still doing the same action, right? What's the difference? I'm still, the dishes are still getting done, right? What's she got to complain about, right? Nobody want to say nothing on that one? <laughs> what? What's the, what's the difference? My motivation and my heart behind what I'm doing, right? And so we talked about uh, last week how sometimes in the Christian walk and in the Christian faith, us as Christians or people who want to be Christians misunderstand God's heart behind the cross and misunderstand God's heart behind salvation. And so for, we talked about how um, a lot of people think and get it twisted, get it messed up, thinking that um, God's heart behind the gospel is that he's going to come and he's just out on the cross and now he did that so that we can prove to him how good we are. Or that we can, man, we talked about the scales, right? If I can just add enough good things to the, to the good side of the scale more than the bad things to the bad side of the scale, as long as it tips in the good favor, Jesus will be like, dude, Mike, you made it in the club. Come on in, right? And you, you think that's funny, but that really is how some people think uh, the gospel works. They think Christianity works, and they misunderstand God's heart behind the cross. And so we, we talked about uh, really all kind of a lot of false ideas about the cross and false ideas about the gospel and salvation, and people who think that, man, if I can just stack up enough good, I'll get there. And we talk about how all of our good works, everything good that we ever do at the end of the day, literally, if you stand it next to Jesus, man, is nothing more than filthy rags. And it's a stench, right, in his nostrils and is worthless. Like you can never, if we took everything good that anyone in the world had ever done and we stacked it up next to Jesus, it would smell like feces to him. (laughs) That leaves us hopeless, right? What do we do? Well, we understand the gospel, right? We see God's hope in the gospel and his motivation behind the gospel. So if the gospel's not, if I work hard enough, I can get there, then what is it? Well, we talked about the story of Hosea and Hosea, is this beautiful story of God coming to a prophet in the Old Testament named Hosea, and he tells her, he says, I want, or tells him, says, I want you to go, and I want you to marry this woman, and she's a prostitute, and I want you to marry her, and I want you to take her as your wife, and I want you to love her, and I want you to take care of her, and, and you would think that she would be grateful and thankful, right? But instead, she's not. What we see is this picture of her running off and, and having affairs on him and, and ultimately having a child that's not his, as a matter of fact, he, he names the child, not mine. How would you like to have that name, right? That's, not, that's like our son. I'm going to name him not mine. No, no, that's not a good thing, right? He names it not mine or, or in one translation is not my people. And so we're looking at that and you're going, well, that's scary. And so what does he do? He names the kid not mine and then he sells the woman into slavery. Slight overreaction, don't you think? Slight overreaction, but he sells into slavery, and God comes, to, God comes to Hosea, and he says this. There's this beautiful passage, this beautiful text, and God tells him, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to purchase her back. 
I want you to buy her back out of slavery and I want you to love her and I want you to cherish her and I want you to take care of her. And he says, because one day what's going to happen, he says, see, there's these people. As many times as I take them out of prostitution, as many times as I teach them the right way, as many times as I show them my goodness and kindness and my love, they keep running back into slavery. He says, but one day what I'm going to do is I'm going to purchase them back. And the text says, and and, they, and I will say to, not mine, you are mine. And they will call me their God. Oh, that is the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus and God loving you and seeing you and knowing all of your faults and knowing everything that you've done and knowing all of your mistakes and how you continually, we continually run away. Him saying, in spite of all that, there's nothing you can do to ever earn it, but I'm going to buy you back because I love you and I cherish you. And that is the picture of the gospel, and that points to the cross. And so what I want to do as we continue, so that's kind of a, a, the view of the heart, of God's heart behind the gospel. It's not that we can earn it. He does it because he loves us. Uh, but what I want us to do today in the next few weeks as we continue in this series, the heart of the gospel, is I want us to look at some different points. So we're going to look at God the Father, we're going to look at man, and we're going to look at Jesus. And what I want us to do today is look at the gospel through the lens of God. And I want us to understand God the Father a little bit a little bit more because here's what I think. I think that when in the terms of the cross and the gospel, the, the cross and the gospel is more awe-inspiring, inspiring, it's more amazing, it's more incredible the more we understand God. So the more we understand who God is, the more we understand his nature, the more we understand his attributes, the more amazing the cross is. Right? The more we know Jesus and who he is, the more we look at the cross and go, I can't believe he did that, man. I can't believe he did that. And so that's what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at God the Father and look at a few of his attributes. And hopefully what that will do is inspire us, inspire us to worship him for his goodness and, his kind, and just as we're amazed by him. So check out Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. I think we got it up on the back for us so we can. We got that, Tyler? Cool. So we've got Romans 33, or 11, 33, and 34. Um, and, and so what this text is, this scripture text, is kind of cool. So Paul is talking, he's literally talking about the gospel. He's talking about you were once lost, and then God bought you back. You know, you were once in, I think he's talking about like you were in judgment, and now you're not, and God got you, brought you out of it. And so he's talking about the gospel, and then he breaks into song. He breaks into this in, in chapter 11, 33 and 34. He says this, says, Oh, the depths and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? I love that. Or in this one. Or who has been his counselor? Who's he ever needed advice from? No one is the correct answer. <laughs> or who has ever given first to him? What that means is who, who has he ever owed anything to? No one. For from him and through him and to him are all things. What that means is everything we have comes from him. Everything in life runs is sustained through him and by him, and he owns it all. And he says, to him be the glory forever. Amen. 
So here's this interesting thing is Paul's literally, he's talking about the gospel he's, and he breaks into the song. And what this is, is called a doxology. You guys familiar with the doxology? You ever heard the praise God from whom all blessings flow? You ever sang that? We used to sing that in church all the time. I love it, right? We should do that again. Come on, band. What are you guys doing? <laughs> Step it up. So, but, but what that is, what that literally trans, translates to is words of glory. Doxology is words of glory. And so Paul is, is talking about the gospel. He's talking about God and that inspires in him to just bust out in praising God with words of glory. He's just amazed as he's understanding who God is and what he's done in the gospel. He's like, I, just, I know I'm writing a bunch of theology right now, but I got to stop and sing a little bit. You ever, has that ever happened to you? No? Yes? Maybe? No? Kind of? You're like just reading a book. Now, that, I, that has happened to me. I've been reading, you know, reading a book or something about God, and I've just, man, I just got to stop and just praise him for a second. Worship him for his goodness. It's a, it's, and so Paul is thinking about, about God and who he is, and he's inspired to just break out in song. And if you know Paul, I mean, I don't know if you've ever met him or anything, but if you know Paul, he's not exactly like the sing-songy kind of guy. He's like deep theology. It leads him to, to sing and worship God. It's really cool. So why? What, why does this happen? I want to kind of start by, I want to talk about some of God's attributes so we can understand what it is that Paul's learning, understanding about God that just makes this, this guy start singing. So I'm going to read from Psalms 50, uh, 9 through 12 really quick. And we're going to just talk about a little few of his attributes. So it says, starting in verse 9, so a little background on this. You have the Israelite people who are offering up these sacrifices to God. They're giving him um, these sacrifices thinking that somehow he needs them. Okay, have you ever done that, like done something for God thinking that he needs you to do it? Isn't that kind of a funny joke? Right, if you really understand God. So, he, so he, they, they're doing these things thinking that God needs them and kind of God just busts in and he says this, the psalmist writes, I will not accept a bull from your household or male goats from your pens. That's interesting, kind of weird. He says, for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and everything in it. Okay, where are we going here, right? That's kind of interesting. So, so he breaks in, he says, I will not accept bull, a bull from your household or for male goats from your pen, for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. What's going on here? So if I were to ask you guys, what are some signs of wealth? Like if we were to look in Dallas-Fort Worth, what are some signs of wealth? You might say, I'm Ferrari, having a big house, going on extravagant vacations, right? Those are nice signs of wealth, right? Well, we, as we think of in the context of the scriptures at this time, what are signs of wealth? What uh, rules the world? What, what moves the needle, right? Everything is based around agriculture. Everything is based around farming. Everything is, is, is based around animals. So what do they, where do they get their milk from? Cows. Where do they get their food from? Cows. Everything is based around, about, around cattle, around agriculture, around farming. So what is God saying when he steps in here and he says this? He's saying if you want to understand who the rich one is, if you want to understand who owns it all, if you want to know who, who the rich guy in this situation is, he's saying it's me. He's saying for I own literally, as far as you can see, guess who it belongs to? Me. The breath in your lungs, guess who it belongs to? Me. The, the money in your bank account, guess who it belongs to? Me. Everything you can see, right? What he's telling the Israelites is everything as far as you can see, the land on a thousand hills or the cattle on a thousand hills, they're mine. 
What is he trying to explain? He's, he created it all. He owns it all. All right. There's this guy named Abraham Kuyper. Good luck translating that, Amanda. I don't know what that means. Uh, so he, says, he has this quote. It's really great. He says, There's not a square inch of all of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, Mine. Doesn't that sound kind of arrogant? Y'all are scared to say yes on that one. I was looking for someone. No, it's, it's not. It's actually kind. What God is, is helping us understand is that it all belongs to me because I created it all. And here's the difference between hum- our creation and God's creation. So there is nothing that we created that we came up with on our own. So like if, if I want to paint a painting, which would be a really terrible painting, but if I want to paint a painting, I can only do it with the paper. You put paintings on paper? What do you call it? <laughs> canvas, thank you, a canvas or colors that already exist, right? And I'm going to draw this painting and it's going to be something that that I've seen before or thought of. I'm not just going to go painting and a painting just comes out of nowhere, right? And even if you're like, well, Mike, you can make some new colors. That's true. I could mix a few different colors. I could do, but where did I get those colors from? Colors that already, what, existed. I could take red and I'm not even going to try that. I'm going to talk about mixing some colors. But if I can mix some, some colors and try to make a brand new color that nobody had ever seen before, that's really cool. But what did I use? I used raw material to make that new color. I used things that already existed to create this new color. It's like hum, human, the human race has done some amazing things, right? Like we've gone to the moon. We've built skyscrapers. We've built the pyramids. There's been all of these amazing things that the human race has come up with. We should pat ourselves on the back, man. That's pretty cool, right? But everything that we've done didn't originate with us. Everything that we've created or seen or made, it, it, it was depended on, dependent on what was already created. There's nothing new, only stuff that we've stolen or borrowed from someone else to make something else. Does that make sense? But that's not how God operates. God literally, we see in, cre- in, in the Genesis, um, uh, in talking about creation, God spoke it into existence, and it was. Like, he didn't say, I'm going to take this over here, this over here, and mix it up and make the world. He literally said, heavens, boom. Right? Like, the joke is, he told the angels, I'm going to create a, a universe. And the angels are like, what's a universe? Right? Because he created out of nothing. He owns it all because he created it all. He doesn't need raw materials to create. He made the raw materials. God is transcendent over creation. He owns creation. So, so whenever we, whenever we, it's kind of, that's why it's kind of funny whenever we look at him and we, we kind of rebel against God, you know, we're like, oh God, I don't want to do this. And he's like, really, you're going to disobey me? You're going to run back into that again? He's like, literally the, the breath in your lungs, I own it. Does that help us see and understand the greatness and the majesty of our God? It's all his. It's all his. And so Paul breaks in the song. He says, oh, the depth and the riches of the knowledge of our God. And he, he's understanding who this God is that we serve. Secondly, the second thing I kind of want to talk about is God's sovereign knowledge. God is sovereign, or his, he knows everything about everything, about everything, about everything, about everything that ever was, that ever will be, that ever, Right? Sorry. 
God's knowledge, he is sovereign. His knowledge is sovereign over everything. That's why it's kind of funny. We talked a few weeks ago about um, wearing masks and how we try to hide ourselves from God and try to hide, like we put on this mask, like he's not going to know who we are, what's going on underneath. His sovereign knowledge exists over that. Like he knows every thought you're going to think before you ever think it. That's kind of scary, but it's true. There's this story in, in Job, which is, it's really cool. If, you, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Job, um, kind of what happens is he, God allows Satan to come in and tempt him with different things. And so just, just bad things were happening for Job, like all over the place. Like he's losing his family, he's losing his, his agriculture. Like there's a point where um, literally like fire is coming down from the heavens and just blowing up his stuff. And that is, that's a really bad day, right? Like this is not a good situation when fire is blowing up your stuff. And so Job has, he's just, everything's going poorly, but Job handles it, handles it really well. Like he's faithful to God and he's, 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 he trusts God throughout this whole process, but then there comes a point where Job questions God, and he kind of shakes the fist at God, and he's kind of, you know, upset with God, and God comes down, and he says, all right, I'm going to have a conversation with Job real quick. We're just going to talk for a second. And in Job 28, or 38, 2 through 4, here's what he says. God comes down, and he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? About to have some words. Who is it that darkens counsel without knowledge? Basically, who is that that talks to me with ignorance? And then he says, dress for action like a man. What he's saying is, put on your big boy pants because we're about to have a talk. (laughs) I will question you and you make it known to me. Man, I never want God to talk to me like, like, okay, Mike, you, 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 oh, you think this is best for you? you? Come on, you tell me about it, right? He's saying, I will question you and you make it known to me. And then just for the, ultimate trump card. This is not even fair, right? The ultimate trump card says, says, I will question you, make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Woo! <laughs> Man, tell me, explain to me. Oh, so, so when I was creating the worlds, Job, where, where were you, buddy? What is that? You're like, oh, great. I just feel so encouraged. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. That, that's not what I want you to feel. I want you to understand the greatness of our God and his sovereign knowledge over everything. It's kind of why it's so insulting to God whenever we, we view him as kind of the genie in the bottle that just we rub the, the bottle, he pops out and just, God, let me just tell you about how you can make my life better. We kind of try to give him some advice. That's why it's so insulting. Literally, he owns it all and he knows it all. So instead of telling him what to do, we should be asking him what to do right? We, we don't rub the, rub the ball and say, all right, Jeannie, here's my three wishes. Make it happen. Now go away. Ooh, no. No. We have a God who's sovereign knowledge over all. He knows it all. Nobody counsels our God. No one gives him advice. No one straightens his path, right? He straightens our path. He counsels us. He gives us advice. And then the, kind of the last thing I want to I talk about is, is really, it sounds bad, but it's actually this beautifully great thing. In uh, Acts chapter 17, there's this picture of, of Paul, and he's, he's, walking, um, he's walking through this town in, in Rome, and um, he sees all these statues, all these um, st- like, fa- like false gods, false idols. They made these statues to worship these gods, and so he's looking around, and he's seeing all these statues, and, and this place, this, where they were at, was actually an extremely religious place. So they weren't like... Uh, they weren't the people that like, we just serve these gods and no, you know, don't bring them here. We'll kill you. It was the opposite. They wanted to worship all the gods. So they're, they're like so much so that they had a statue that just said to the unknown God on it. 
So it's like, just in case we miss one, we want to have a statue for it, okay? And so that, like, that's how religious these guys were. They wanted to be, let's get all of them. And so Paul's kind of walking through the town, and he's seeing all of these statues worshiping these false idols. And so he stands up, and he's going to kind of explain to them and talk to them about the, the true and right God and, and who God was. And here's what he kind of says. This is just a, a snippet from it, but this is uh, Acts 17, 23b through 25. He says, Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines ba- made by human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. So why does Paul break through this? Because what was happening is they had these statues of these gods and they would make temples for them. Why did they make temples? Because they thought the gods needed a place to live. Why were they making, they were making these sacrifices for them because they thought, all right, I got to sacrifice this bull because this God, he's going to be hungry if I don't feed him a bull. Does that make sense? So they're, they're building these little houses for the gods. They're, they think they're feeding the gods and they, they think that the gods were dependent and needed them in a sense. So Paul walks in there and he busts that open. He says, the God, the true God, the living God, the God who made the world and everything in it, there, his, there, his, there. He's the God who made all of it. He is not, he does not live in temples. He don't need your house. He exists outside of creation. He doesn't need your sacrifices. But we already read in Psalms, he says, if I was hungry, why would I even tell you about it? What could you do about it? So he doesn't, he doesn't need your 